Happy Fighting Blindness, number 110, Spring 2004, the newsletter of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. Your readers are Jerry Rust, Paul Netherton, and Jeff Strutt. In this issue, editorial, secretary's notes, AGM 2004, research news, Retina International, BBA, welfare notes, Usher Syndrome, Moorfields Trust, Midsummer Madness, Great Sailing, Holidays, Taking Steps, Part 3, Branch News, Letters, Obituary. British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, Registered Charity Number 271729, Honorary Secretary Mrs Linda Cantor, MBE, BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK181 GZ. Telephone number 01280-821-334 for office inquiries. Email at info at brps.org.uk. The website is www.brps.org.uk. The welfare manager is Mrs Anne Fisher, 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, near Royston, Hearts, SG87RD, telephone number 01763 208045. The helpline number is 0845 1232 354. Membership subscriptions, single membership £10. Subscriptions which are due on the 1st of January should be made out to BRPS and sent to the Secretary at BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ. Any donations above the £10 subscription will be most welcome and received with grateful thanks. Braille copies. Please contact the office if you need your newsletter in Braille. Whilst every effort is made to ensure the accuracy of all information printed, it is not always possible to check details on articles submitted, and whilst information shown to be inaccurate will be corrected, the Society cannot accept responsibility for errors. Editorial by Selwyn Higgins There has been debate over several years concerning a possible name change for BRPS, on the basis that our present name is rather long and difficult for many to remember. A complete change of name would, however, create many problems, so following lengthy discussions involving trustees, management committee and branch chairman, a compromise has been reached. We shall retain the name that has served us for 29 years as our formal name, but we shall, as is now fairly common practice among many organisations, adopt a working name. The choice was based upon the need for a name that was short but described clearly what we do. We avoided short, snappy names that give no indication as to what our work is about and selected RP Fighting Blindness. This will, in future, be the working name of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. The adoption of the working title has the approval of the Charity Commission. Not only does it describe our purpose, it is also a name familiar to so many members of the public who have seen our logo and Fighting Blindness on our collecting tins and tabards for almost 20 years. It has the added advantage of being very similar to the names used by most other RP societies around the world. Our full name, British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, is still in use and will be used for all formal purposes and financial transactions such as banking. I, for one, will find the working name an advantage on street collections when asked the question, Who are you anyway? Our full name causes a puzzled look as people attempt to pronounce it.
March is too, too late to wish you all a happy new year, but may I express the wish that this will be a very good year for all of us and take us closer to the realisation of our hopes and dreams when all of our members can say, see you soon. Secretary's Notes by Linda Cantor My thanks to you all for the kind seasonal greetings you have sent to us in the office. So many of you have kindly added a donation to your subscription. You will see from Selwyn's editorial that we are adopting the working name of RP Fighting Blindness. I would like to empathise that all checks made out to the Society should continue to be made out to the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, or BRPS. We have now added a further tool to our fundraising kit, collecting buckets. In a recent outing, two buckets raised over £700 to the amazement of the collector. On the right occasion and in a safe location, we have high hopes that the buckets will swell our coffers. I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible at the AGM on the 19th of June and another date for your diary is the Retina International Meeting in Holland. Details appear in this newsletter. AGM 2004 by Alan Foster Our 28th Annual General Meeting will be held on Saturday 19th of June in London at the Holiday Inn, Bloomsbury. This hotel is in Coram Street, a few minutes walk from Euston, St Pancras and King's Cross mainline stations and from King's Cross Underground Station. It should be noted that the hotel is not the same Holiday Inn as we used in 2002. A location map will be included in the summer newsletter. The Bloomsbury suite at the Holiday Inn has been booked and will provide excellent facilities for delegates as well as speakers. The main hall area divides into two parts, with one housing the exhibition stands during the morning session. Along with the Bloomsbury suite, we have exclusive use of a foyer throughout the day where friends can meet and refreshments will be served. The Holiday Inn is very experienced in providing the facilities needed for societies like ours. If any delegates intend to stay overnight, a discounted room rate is available if booked through the internet at www.holiday-inn.com and follow the on-screen instructions. Please make sure that you book at the Bloomsbury Holiday Inn. There are several Holiday Inns in London, all accessed through the above website. An interesting programme for the day is being put together and full details will appear in the summer newsletter. In general terms, the structure of the day will follow the lines of recent years with an exhibition and information desks throughout the morning as people gather. The formal AGM business and presentations will follow in the afternoon including elections to the posts of Fundraising Manager, Publications Manager and Branch Affairs Manager. Nominations for these posts, which require a proposer and two seconders, one of whom must be a trustee, must be with the BRPS Secretary by the end of May. The prize draw will be held towards the end of the afternoon in the main hall. Details of the programme, exhibitors and speakers will be listed in the summer newsletter. In the meantime, it would be very helpful in setting the AGM facilities at the right level if members who hope to come could complete a short questionnaire which is available from the office. I know this questionnaire will seem very early and many members will not have decided finally on their arrangements for the meeting, but an early reply will help avoid my annual panic in fixing final numbers with the venue management. It's not a booking form, but it is helpful to get an early feel for the numbers involved. Caution. 
For more than 30 years, people in various parts of the world have been selling the ultimate cure for retinitis pigmentosa. Many desperate people have spent large amounts of their saving on cures, which did not work and which had no chance of working. RP in most cases follows a very irregular rate of degeneration, which leads some people to believe that the cure was responsible for slowing their rate of sight loss for a short time. If you are tempted to respond to an advertisement for a cure, we would strongly recommend that you consult your ophthalmologist before making any commitment. Tremendous progress has been made in genuine medical research and treatments for some types of RP cannot be far away, but when they are cleared for use, the whole world will know about them. Research News by Dr Reshma Patel I am currently working under the direction of Professor Bhattacharya on a three-year project funded by a community fund grant obtained by BRPS. The purpose of the project is to isolate genes responsible for certain recessive forms of retinitis pigmentosa, RP, and other forms of retinal degenerations, and to investigate their function. We plan to approach this in two ways. Firstly, by examining genes that are good candidates for being involved in RP, based on their known function in the eye. The large number of genes already known to be involved in causing RP demonstrates how complex the visual system is, and identifying more will help us to complete the jigsaw puzzle. A complete picture of how the visual system works is essential for developing future treatment strategies. A number of RP genes have been located within quite large but specific regions on chromosomes by previous DNA mapping and family studies. Our aim is to search these chromosomal regions for 40 genes and analyse them on a molecular level to identify the specific problem. This specific change, in turn, affects the function of the protein that is coated by the gene and as a result gives rise to RP. Using an analogy, searching for genes in this manner is similar to searching for a building in London when you don't have the address. You have to find the correct borough, then the street, and finally the street number. We are using biocomputing methods to comb through the huge amount of information generated by the Human Genome Sequencing Project to identify known and novel genes in the regions of interest that could be candidates for RP. Depending on the size of the region, there could be anything from tens to a few hundred genes within them. These are then examined to determine their structure in order to search for any change in the sequence that is present in certain RP patients only. As well as trawling through the region examining gene by gene, we shall also be looking for other molecular clues that will hopefully shorten the length of the region under investigation, thereby speeding up the search for the gene. Additionally, we will be screening genes that have a function which suggests they have an important role in vision. These are good candidates for disease, and they should be examined for changes in RP patients. At present, three such genes are under investigation in our lab. Our studies will benefit from collaborations with a number of other laboratories in Spain, France and America. We hope to examine the function of these novel genes and genes that are already known to be involved in RP so that we can have a better understanding of what biological pathways are affected and how the visual process is disturbed in patients with RP. This information is essential in developing future therapeutic strategies. We truly appreciate all the support BRPS has provided in helping us to continue this valuable research. I hope to report further progress in the near future. Retina International Conference 
Members will be aware from the last issue that the conference takes place nearer to home this year, in Holland. A detailed article on the conference was printed in the winter newsletter, but perhaps I might repeat some of the important details. The dates are Friday 2nd July and Saturday 3rd July, and the venue is the seaside town of Noordwijk. All of the details can be found on the RP Netherlands website, the address of which is www.retinanederland, that's R-E-T-I-N-A, N-E-D-E-R-L-A-N-D dot org. For those wishing to make a holiday of the event, Beryl Duggan from Chester is planning to organise a coach trip covering a week's holiday with the conference in the middle. Beryl gives the details next. Holiday by Beryl Duggan. I'm hoping to organise a holiday to the Netherlands from the 28th of June to the 5th of July 2004, including the International Conference. The cost of the holiday will be £394. This will include two nights B&B and evening meal in Bruges, four nights in Holland on the same basis, and staying one night on the homeward journey at Ypres and returning on the Monday. Single supplement is £12. The coach will leave Chester picking up en route and travelling through the Channel Tunnel. If you are interested and would like further information, please don't hesitate to contact me on 01244 680463. Beware. I thought it worth mentioning another telephone scam that is hitting people. You will recall that I reported two types to watch out for in the last issue. This is another, and is in fact a type that was tried on me just before Christmas. I am pleased to say that I did not fall for it. You will receive a call with what is clearly a recorded message. The usual patter. We are calling to inform you that you have won an all-expenses-paid holiday. The message takes about half a minute, but at the end it invites you to press 9 to hear further details. Do not press 9. If you do, you will be connected to a premium line that will cost you about £20 per minute. The message that follows takes about 11 minutes at around £20 per minute. If you realise your mistake and ring off immediately after pressing 9, you will still be billed for a minimum of 5 minutes. The calls originate from outside the UK and our phone providers say that they are relatively powerless to act. The only safe solution is, do not press 9. Perhaps you could warn any children not to fall into this trap. They could cost mum and dad a small fortune. Blind Business Association The Blind Business Association Charitable Trust will be 10 years old this year. Many of our members already know of the association, and know of people who have received help in their efforts to establish and run small businesses. The scope of undertakings aided by BBACT is widening every year, and if you are attempting to get started with a good idea, then you may find it very helpful to contact them. I would suggest that you contact Mr Sidney Callis at The Old Schoolhouse, School Lane, Buckingham, MK18, 1HB. Phone and fax 01280 813267. Email info at bbact.org.uk. They also have a website at 
Welfare Notes by Anne Fisher Please note that as from 5th of January 2004, the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society helpline telephone number will be 0845 123 This means that calls will now be charged at the local rate instead of national rate. RNIB hotels have released details of their activity breaks, winter super saver offers and short break rates. Rooms are available on a first-come, first-served basis and book early to avoid disappointment. For example, the shopaholic break, when you can shop till you drop, with special offers and deals in the finest centres in the northwest, from the 22nd to the 26th of November 2004, single or twin room will be £130 per person half board, or turkey and tinsel, a touch of Christmas 2004. For more information, or to make a reservation, call them on 01253 354 598 or find other special offers on their website www.rnib.org.uk forward slash hotels. The first mobile phone designed specifically for blind and partially sighted people has gone on show in the UK. The phone is made by a Spanish company, spelt O-W-A-S-Y-S, pronounced Oasis, who hoped to have their 22C handset on the UK market at the beginning of 2004. It has no visual display at all, but uses a speech synthesizer to read everything that would normally appear on the screen. As well as giving audio feedback from button presses, the 22C can send and receive text messages and will speak the name and number of the incoming caller. Oasis hopes the mobile will retail at around £250. The company, formed by ex-employees of Ericsson, consulted blind and partially sighted users throughout the development phase. The police have warned about a swindle currently targeting individuals and businesses doing their banking over the internet with Nationwide, Egg and other firms. The victim receives email asking for passwords, etc., which the bank and the customer have set up precisely to ensure privacy and confidentiality. They may ask you to verify your email address and to enter in a small window your customer number, pass number and memorable data. They say this is being requested for your protection. All internet banks insist that they never do business with their clients via direct email. The banks and the police warn internet users to transact confidential business only by directly logging on the bank's secure website. Judith Furs is an experienced Braille list proofreader and offers a transcription service. For further information, contact Judith Direct on 01793 644346 Interpreters by Anne Fisher Occasionally, calls are received on the helpline from people who need to talk about retinitis pigmentosa but have either a very limited knowledge of English or none at all. Obviously, the helpline team wish to give support to all those who telephone. Using a translation service could prove to be very expensive so I am therefore asking if any member who can speak or write another language would be prepared to help should the occasion arise. Obviously, strict confidentiality must be adhered to at all times. If anyone can help in any language, could you please contact me on 01763 
208045 or alternatively Steve Golden on 0161-282-9534. Do you have Usher syndrome? By Mary Guest, Principal Research Officer, Usher, Sense. People with Usher syndrome have both retinitis pigmentosa and hearing loss. The hearing loss varies from mild to profound and except one type, type 3, occurs at birth or in early childhood. A child born profoundly deaf who later develops RP is described as having type 1 Usher. These children invariably have poor balance and walk late. But the largest group with the syndrome, type 2, has partial hearing, depends on hearing aids to communicate and has normal balance at birth. People with type 3, which is rarer, have normal hearing or mild hearing loss in childhood, but as they develop RP, also experience loss of hearing and balance. If you have Usher syndrome, you may like to know about the National Collaborative Usher Study, which started in September 2003. The NCUS is a major piece of research being undertaken by the Institute of Ophthalmology, the Institute of Child Health in collaboration with SENSE, the National Deaf, Blind and Rubella Association. The study is funded by the Community Fund, the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society and Defeating Deafness. The aim of the three-year study is to develop the next stage in our understanding of Usher syndrome by linking information about the type and severity of hearing, balance and vision loss in people with Usher syndrome with the genes that cause their disorder. Over the next three years, it is planned to involve 200 families with Usher in the NCUS from around the UK. Ideally, we need families where the person with Usher is 45 or under, where both parents are living and there are brothers, sisters affected or unaffected, all of whom would like to take part. For further information, please contact Liz Cook, Family Coordinator, by telephone 020-7561-3331, that's also the text number, email liz.cook at sense.com. Dot org dot uk, or by writing to Liz Cook, Family Coordinator, NCUS, 11 to 13 Clifton Terrace, Finsbury Park, London, N34SR. You can also visit the Sense website at www.sense.org.uk. Moorfields Trust, Moorfields Eye Hospital is applying to become an NHS Foundation Trust from April 2004. An important part of the governance of NHS Foundation Trusts is the role played by members and the Membership Council. Patients, ex-patients and local people are eligible to become members. Many BRPS members are users of Moorfields and may be interested in having a say in how the hospital services are run. A member of the Trust will have the right to nominate and elect Governors of the Trust. The main criterion is that members should be members of the community that is served by the hospital. Registering to become a member will not cost you anything. To register, contact the Foundation Project Team at Moorfields Eye Hospital, 162 City Road, London, EC1V 2PD. Telephone 020-7566-2496 or email foundation at moorfields.nhs.uk Working Tax Credit by Margaret Walmsley 
In the summer newsletter I gave you all details of how to claim the working tax credit. Mrs S. Blythe of Tunstall Sunderland did like I told her and got good results. This working tax credit is an amount of money that is non-taxable and is deposited into your bank account each week. If you are a couple with no children of school age, to qualify you must work at least 30 hours per week between you. You can both work a few hours or you or your other half can do all the 30 hours. If only one of you is working and they are registered disabled, they only need to be working 16 hours per week. You must both be at least 25 years old. Your taxable income must be no more than 14500 per year. If you are single and have no children of school age, you must be at least 25 years old. If you are able-bodied, you must work at least 30 hours per week. If you are registered disabled, you only have to work 16 hours per week. You can earn up to £10,500 per year. I'm sure lots of readers are missing out on this tax credit, Lark. Don't think it doesn't apply to you because you don't pay tax. You are still entitled to it, so follow my instructions. This is what you need to do to claim working tax credit. You need to have the following information ready when you ring up. Then the advisor will tell you straight away what, if anything, you can expect to receive. For couples 25 years or over with no children of school age, follow these instructions. Your national insurance number, your P60 for the tax year ending 2002, not 2003, saying what you've earned from April 2001 to April 2002. Or, if you are self-employed, you need the amount you declared on your tax forms that you sent in last April 2002, not the ones you sent in for April just gone. If you both work, you need both totals. Write down any other taxable income for that period that you both had, April 2001 to April 2002, such as private pensions, state pensions, invalid care allowance, bank interest. If you get disability living allowance, do not put the amount of money down that you received as this is not taxable. Do not write down any other income that either of you get that is not taxable. Tell them that you have no children of educational age. If you get disability living allowance for care in the home, make sure that you tell them when asked whether it is at the low, medium or high rate, even though, as I said earlier, you don't declare in money terms how much DLA you get. This is very important. You can get up to £2,000 a year extra on top of what they are going to allow you depending on what rate DLA you are on. Now you have all this information ready, just ring this number 0845 300 3900. When they answer, they will give you some options. You need option number one. Give them all these details and they will tell you right away what you can expect to receive. They will then send you a form to put all the details onto that you have given them over the phone. It's a new thing that started on the 6th of April 2003. You can ring 8am to 8pm seven days per week, so get your details together and see what you can get by ringing 0845 300 3900. Single people aged 25 years or over follow the same instructions. Please let the RP newsletter know how you go on. Even if you are no good at writing letters, you can just write a note saying, I got the working tax credit. That will encourage others to apply for it. Good luck to you all. You can do it. It only takes a phone call. Midsummer Madness by Jim Horrocks as I had heard that Ackerbilk was approaching the end of his career, I bought a second-hand clarinet last autumn. Having graduated after ten half-hour lessons, 
I took it along to this year's jazz workshop in the New Forest. Before setting out, I put in a new reed, but it played worse than the one replaced. Jesse, ever obliging, searched the dustbin and retrieved the old reed. After heavily disinfecting the, the reed and Jesse, all was well. Friday evening, fifty aspiring, perspiring musicians, ranging from their twenties to sixties, plus one geriatric, me, gathered in the village hall for dinner. Afterwards, fortified by the local brew, we all convened for a jam session. My clarinet debut was a disaster, and made me realise that my role was rather to provide a social service. It was to reassure the rest that there was someone worse than themselves, or, to put it positively, to confirm there was someone they could outperform. Saturday morning we joined our selected groups, a big band of twenty or smaller groups of sixteen and fourteen. The small group I was part of worked its way through five pieces for that evening's public concert. The usual jam session followed the formal concert, and this time I switched to trumpet in the hope of not being recognised as the one who abused clarinets. A useful aspect of these weekends is the chance to meet and chat with others playing the same instrument that I routinely torture my wife and neighbours with. This time, in conversation, I was depressed to learn that I had not yet discovered all the notes that could be played on my clarinet. I was also enjoined to practice my scales. Even when I practice tunes, Jessie hurriedly moves from room to room to seek refuge. Don't know what she would make of half an hour of scales each morning. My daughter and son-in-law, enthusiastic amateur musicians, keyboard and trombone, took on also the role of carers, adept at navigating me around a constantly changing scene. Sunday morning brought a choice of workshops in melody, harmony or rhythm, then lunch, and another jam session where I played my solo facing the back wall until my carer rotated my face into the hall, and so to the end of a hectic, concentrated weekend, also highly enjoyable. This may owe something to my decorating the village hall with posters advertising Be Kind to the Elderly Week. Next year the tuba? That is the end of side one. Great Sailing by Peter Eckersley The London Sailing Project own three large catches which they mainly use for sail training for able-bodied youngsters. However, several times a year, the organisation kindly offers visually impaired and, in a separate yacht, hearing impaired folk the chance to sail 
in one of their craft. Donald Searle is an Ocean 75 cutter-rigged catch. She is the one usually used by the VIs. On deck, there are very adequate guardrails and other good handholds. Jack stays are rigged along the side decks to clip onto when necessary. There are granny bars around the two masts to give extra support when working by them. Below decks, there is a spacious main saloon with bunks arranged along the sides and tables in the middle. A smaller after cabin, separate galley, navigation station and skipper's cabin. Also, two heads or toilets. The visually impaired make up half the crew of 20. There is a skipper, a mate and watch officers. The crew will be divided into watches. Aboard, one has the opportunity to be involved with the deck work, dealing with deck work, dealing with mooring warps and fenders, raising, lowering and trimming the sails, and helming with the aid of an audio compass. This is a device which bleeps if the boat is going off course. Naturally, the inner man needs satisfying, so one takes a turn helping in the galley. It is worth noting that the boats are well provisioned and the standard of the food is very good. The project is very safety conscious. Donald Searle carries two self-inflating life rafts, either of which could carry the whole crew. There is also the other statutory safety equipment. Safety harnesses and foul weather gear are available. I have sailed on many occasions aboard Donald Searle. This September, because of light southerly winds, we cruised from her base on the Hamble River through the Solent to Dartmouth, calling in at Yarmouth, Weymouth and Lulworth Cove. In previous years, we have crossed the Channel. For instance, last year, the September cruise was a triangular trip from the Hamble to Honfleur and then to Weymouth and back to base. Also last year, the yacht was entered in the small ships race from Weymouth west round the Eddiston and then down to St Malo. For this, half the crew were visually impaired. I'm pleased to say we crossed the line in third position and won our class on corrected time. It is a most thrilling experience to helm this 75-foot catch, particularly when it is possible to fly her full suite of sails. With the tilt and movement of the deck under one's feet and the pressure on the wheel, there is a great sensation of power and speed. Equally, to stand right in the bow with the sound of the cut water knifing through the waves and the thrum off the sails and rigging, the sense of being away from it all is complete. As one would expect, there are runs ashore when the sighted crew really show off their navigational skills, for without either compass or sextant or even GPS, a watering hole soon appears over the horizon. Normally, the project offers one or two weekends during the summer and the week in September. Have a go, but leave room for me. For further information, contact the London Sailing Project. Mr Paul Bishop, the Director, London Sailing Project, Universal Shipyards, Crablec Lane, Sarsbury Green, Hampshire. Telephone 01489 885098 or email paul.bishop at ronatrust.com Holidays. The courses offered by the Kingham Centre are proving popular amongst our members. They offer a great opportunity to blind and partially sighted adults who are lovers of the countryside. 
Set out below are some of the courses that members might find appealing this year. Monday the 10th to Friday the 14th of May, The Birds of Dorset and Their Songs, tutors Nigel Spring and Gary Dennis. During this four-day course, we shall explore some of the best bird habitats in Dorset, woodlands, heathlands, salt marsh, sand dunes, sea cliffs, etc. At a time when the summer migrants will have returned and all the birds will be in fine voice. There will be plenty of opportunities for recording birdsong and we have professional equipment for you to use if you would like to borrow it. Fees, concessionary fee for visually impaired participants, £100 per person, £50 for sighted guides. Friday the 14th to Sunday the 16th of May. The Birds of Kingcomb and Powerstock and Their Songs. Tutor Nigel Spring. A two-day introduction to the birds of the Kingcomb and Powerstock areas, particularly for those who want to identify birds by their songs and calls. The resident birds as well as the migrants will be in full voice. The weekend will include a dawn walk. Fees, concession for visually impaired participants, £100 per person, £50 for sighted guides. Monday the 26th to Friday the 30th of July, the Dorset countryside in summer. A general interest holiday for blind and partially sighted people and their companions, which will suit anyone with a love of the countryside. We shall explore many of the facets of the varied Dorset landscape, the secret hamlets, the rich woodlands, the ancient hill forts and some of the country's lovely churches, not to mention the spectacular coast and the cream teas. Concessionary fees £150 for visually impaired adults and £100 for sighted spouses, friends, attending as guides. Monday the 4th to Friday the 8th of October, The Sounds of Nature in Autumn, a four-day course for blind and partially sighted naturalists, during which we shall explore the rich Dorset countryside to listen to and record the sounds of nature in autumn. In one autumn's bird course, nearly 100 species were seen and 57 were heard in one weekend. Fees, £150 for visually impaired adults and £100 for sighted spouses or friends acting as guides. The Kingham Centre is a small residential study centre in converted farm buildings beside the River Hook and is surrounded by over 500 acres of idyllic, unspoilt farmland nature reserve. The accommodation is very comfortable. Some bedrooms now have private facilities and the cooking excellent. A perfect base from which to explore the Dorset landscape and its wildlife. For further details about these and the rest of the 2004 programme, contact the Kingham Centre. Toller Porcorum, Dorchester, Dorset, DT two zero EQ. Telephone O one three hundred three two O six eight four. Fax O one three hundred three two one four zero nine. Email nspring at kingham hyphen centre dot demon dot co dot uk. Website www dot kingham hyphen centre .demon.co.uk Taking Steps by Eddie Woodbridge This is the final instalment of a story written by Eddie Woodbridge. In the last issue, Emma had taken the decision to use a white cane and to apply for mobility training. Emma knew she'd done the right thing when she read through the leaflet for gauging mobility. Things like, do you bump into people or inanimate objects? Having difficulty in seeing steps? Find glass doors confusing? After going out alone, do you arrive home mentally exhausted? Do you become embarrassed, frustrated or angry with daily mishaps? She could answer yes to all of them. And that was in daylight, for goodness sake. So it wasn't a case of being housebound after dark. Perhaps things were worse than she'd thought. 
Reading on, she smiled when she saw that instead of thinking about a white stick as a sign of her disability, she should try and think of it as a magic wand that would summon assistance when most needed. She emailed Louise to tell her she'd finally set about getting help and just think, she added, quoting from Jenny Joseph's poem again, she'd be able to run it along public railings and make up for the sobriety of her youth. She was amused to receive through the post a few days later a long strand of purple tinsel for decorating a lamp when she found something suitable, or to wrap around the magic wand, perhaps. Would that make it more magic? When the rehabilitation officer rang to make an appointment, Emma started to feel in control of her life again. In control as far as facing up to the fact that she needed professional advice and help in the form of a white stick anyway. Actually taking the thing out for a walk would be a different matter, but she'd deal with that another day. She didn't realise exactly how many days it would be until following an assessment by Pete, the rehabilitation officer, she was told that she needed what was called a long cane and lessons on how to use it. How long will that take, she asked. With a couple of sessions a week, about six months. The timescale seemed awesome to Emma. Six months to become proficient, regain independence, feel safe and confident again. There was no quick fix. On the other hand, it gave her time to accept the reality of the situation. She knew she'd been fooling herself for years. There was still the question of admitting to friends that she had a problem, though. In the past, when she'd asked for help from strangers, some had seemed embarrassed, shied away even, as if she were infectious. Others had been patronising or almost smothering in their desire to help. She didn't want to go through all that with her friends. But then didn't they have problems too? Some financial, others medical, emotional, marital. Talking these things over, providing support, seeing the funny side of things, that was one of the greatest things about friendship. A few days later, she sat down at the computer. Hi, Sue, she began, just wondering how the computer classes are going. Hope to join you after Christmas when I've learnt to drive. No, not the car, a stick, a white one. Much cheaper to run, no road tax or MOT required. Tell you all about it when I see you. How about coffee sometime next week? Cheers, Emma. Branch News Avon Branch, Pauline Fraser On a day in January, which could already be spring, the sun is shining and last year's primulas are still blooming in the garden. 2003 proved to be both interesting and successful. Our first branch get-together was in March, when we held a Skittles evening at a small club in central Bristol. Those of us who were there enjoyed a real fun evening, including an American supper. We have decided to repeat the Skittles evening this year at a date to be announced and hope that more members and friends will join us this time. Our annual quiz night took place in early June at Shirehampton Golf Club and once again was well supported, with a most enjoyable evening had by all. Our sincere thanks to Mike and Liz Rich, who compiled the questions. My husband Stuart and I attended the AGM in Bournemouth, as did members Jane and David Mokes. This proved to be a very interesting and informative day. The principal speaker was Dr Jerry Chader of the Foundation Fighting Blindness USA, whose talk on the latest research, including the use of stem cells, was both easy to follow and quite entertaining. During the summer, we fitted in a few street and supermarket collections. September brought National Retina Week, our main event being a walk around the Bristol waterfront area. We set up a store with lots of RP literature and a huge poster drawn and painted by Marta Chatters was displayed on the front of the table. A photo is included. It showed in simple scenes what RP is and created quite a lot of interest. It was an enjoyable day, lovely venue and we collected £721. Well done everyone who took part. We completed Retina Week with our AGM in Bedminster. 
Unfortunately, we were let down by our speakers, but the breach was filled by our secretary, Stuart Fraser, who read a transcript of the talk by Dr Chader at the National AGM. Stuart presented this quite competently in spite of some of the long words and it was well received. Our year ended with the annual Christmas lunch at Jury's Hotel, which as usual was well attended. The quality of the meal and service was excellent. Once again, our year has been interesting and lucrative with £4,500 added to the research fund. Well done, everyone. Cambridge branch, Marion Mansfield. Our AGM was held in November 2003 and the chairman and committee were voted in for another year. We congratulated ourselves on such a fine achievement with our fundraising events. During the eight years the branch has been running, we raised £42,000, which we think is a fantastic amount for such a small group of people. Our recent events included a jumble sale in October, which raised £130, and a collection in Scottsdale's Garden Centre, which brought in £700. During 2004, we have our February Thriplo Jumble Sale, and in April, we have the Peterborough Meeting. March means Daffodil Weekend at Thriplo near Royston. For information on these events, please contact Maureen Leach on 01763 208 496. We are sad to report the death of Pamela Goodyear, who was a treasured friend to Marion and always on hand at events. She never let us down and enjoyed being part of the team. We will never forget her energy, enthusiasm and cheery personality. We miss her very much. Request for jewellery, Anne Fisher. Here in the Cambridge branch we have been very fortunate in the past to have a supply of inexpensive jewellery to sell at our fundraising events. So much so that we have quite a reputation for our famous jewellery stall. This was all due to my late mother and her friends who kept us supplied with jewellery. This came mostly from charity shops and their other friends. Sadly, due to my mother's death, her friends feel they cannot keep up the supply. So if any members have unwanted jewellery, absolutely anything, plastic or otherwise, hidden away in their drawers, could they please send it to me so that we can keep this stall going? It has been such an excellent way to raise money for our research fund, it does seem a great pity not to continue. Should you have any jewellery to spare, please send it to me, Anne Fisher. My address is at the front of the newsletter. Many thanks. Coventry and District Branch, Richard Bartlam. By the time your newsletter pops through your letterbox, a quarter of 2004 will already have passed us by. But I sit writing this branch news on January the 1st, with 2004 very much in mind, as this is the 25th year of the Coventry and District Branch. I cannot believe that we have come this far, and I might add that we are going from strength to strength. It certainly does not seem like 25 years since Jean and I set about trying to bring together sufferers of RP in order to share experiences and to work together to raise funds for research. Along the way we have made some wonderful friendships, which we would never have done if RP had not entered our lives, and we hope that many of you will join us for our 25th celebration to be held at the Orsley Hotel Coventry on Saturday, June the 19th for a dinner dance. Tickets, £20 each. Dancing to live rock and blues band Roadhog. Overnight rooms with full English breakfast are available at £25 each. The dinner dance is open to anyone who wishes to join us and we sincerely hope you do. More details from the organiser Julie Norman, our chairperson, who is also celebrating 10 years in office.
which makes her our branch's longest-serving chairperson. Congratulations, Julie, with gratitude from all of us. She can be contacted on 024 7672 1615 if you require tickets or email her on julie.norman at ntl.world.com. We will already have held a Pudding Lovers' Evening on February the 13th in Ulsthorpe, Leicestershire, which by now, I assume, will have put the pounds on, eating all those magnificent puddings. Also, a skittle night against the local Vista Tandem Club is taking place on Thursday, March the 11th. May the best team win. We have been very lucky to secure funding and wish to thank the Coventry Building Society for their support, which has enabled us to invite Professor John Marshall to give a talk on RP research at the Stonebridge Manor Hotel in Coventry on Saturday, March the 6th. Finally, we would like to thank Tina and Brian White for putting our branch forward to the Wellsbourne and District Lions, who chose us to be the beneficiaries of their annual Santa sleigh ride throughout the streets during 10 days in December. On writing this, I do not know the final amount, but I have been assured we will not be disappointed with the total, expected to be very substantial. Thanks to Tina and her merry band of helpers for giving up their time to support the Lions and RP. To find out more about the Coventry and District Branch and its activities, visit our website, www.theisite.org. Hampshire Branch, Steve Harris Once the dust had settled on a very busy fundraising season last year, we were delighted to have been able to send a total of £15,000 to the BRPS Research Fund. A great big thank you is due to all our can shakers and to everyone who has raised funds for us in other ways, all of whom have worked so hard to help raise such a magnificent total. We are now preparing our street collection programme for 2004 and have collections arranged at Newbury on the 8th of May, Southampton on the 22nd of May and Winchester on the 3rd of July, with other venues awaiting confirmation. We would be delighted to see some new faces helping us with these collections, so if you haven't collected with us recently and are able to spare an hour or so shaking a can, then our fundraising coordinators Michael on 023-8073-2141 or Paul on 023-8025-3424 would be very pleased to hear from you. And if you would be interested in organising a fundraising event of your own. We have been extremely fortunate to have been donated a laptop computer by IBM UK and are very grateful to this organisation for their most generous offer. We are still finalising plans for the use of this computer, which is fully equipped with low vision access software, but the intention is to make it available on short-term loans to our members for assessment before using it for branch administration. If you would like to know more, then please phone Steve on 023 8047 6894. Midlands Branch, Rita Nichols. How fast the time goes. Last year had its highs and lows for the Midlands Branch. Sadly, we lost one of our younger members in April, but her family are still supporting RP in memory of Wendy. My thanks go to them all. At our meetings, our speakers on local history and reflexology were both interesting and amusing. For all of us, fundraising gets harder every year. 
We started well, slumped in the middle, then crossed the finishing line with a sprint, finally raising £12,000. Thanks to all Midland branch members who were part of this achievement and thanks to the committee for their unstinting support. The one area of fundraising we are going to pursue with a vengeance in 2004 is the collection of ink cartridges for recycling. We received two cheques in the last two months of 2004, totalling £250 plus, and this was a drop in the ocean. We are contacting companies throughout our area for their used cartridges. If you would like to take up this project for your branch, contact Rita Nichols on 01902 738193 or email Beverly Hollingsworth on rose.bev How can I ask for your help? We have a great number of postage stamps but nobody willing to take on board their preparation. If any other branch raises money from stamps, would they let us know where they send them? I am appealing for a Midlands member to take on this project. May you all have a successful and fun-filled 2004. South East Scotland branch, John Honeyman. We saw out 2003 with a branch meeting on November the 1st that ended on a note of cautious optimism. Dare I even say it, a high note? Local member, Ralph Allardyce, had very kindly agreed to take the hot seat and chat to us about his experience a couple of years ago when he travelled to the United States to discover how RP research was progressing. During his visit to Cornell University, Gustavo Aguirre, who sits on the Scientific Advisory Board for Foundation Fighting Blindness, revealed that clinical trials would be commencing in about 18 months from that time. Trials on 10 end-stage RP patients are now underway, and we all await the results with great interest. It is worth keeping an eye on the American Foundation Fighting Blindness website at www.blindness.org and our very own informative site at www.brps.org.uk. Having arrived half an hour late in Edinburgh, on a very sick turbo-star diesel train, I was able to secure one of the few remaining seats in our meeting room. The high turnout and wonderfully convivial and positive atmosphere gave us all a welcome lift on the run-up to the darker nights of winter. For any other branch seeking to boost attendance, I will of course be acting as Ralph's manager. It is never too late to wish anyone a happy new year, and to that end can I extend our very best wishes for a happy and healthy 2004 to you all. It has certainly got off to a good start for us in the form of a cheque for £285 from Juniper Green Parish Church in Edinburgh. The sum represents one-third of the total raised in charitable donations to the church over the festive season, so I am very pleased to express our grateful thanks to the congregation and everyone else involved. The next South East Scotland branch meeting will take place on Saturday the 6th of March at 2pm in Nicholson Square Church in Edinburgh. Professor Alan Wright will be joining us for an update on developments in RP research and I look forward to another good turnout in support of him. Tidying out my son Elliot's school bag at the end of last year, I discovered a crumpled scrap of paper bearing the words Regimentitis Pigmentosa. Misspelling aside, my curiosity was aroused and the explanation for it was presented in the form of a school worksheet entitled My 2004 Will Be Better Because... My eight-year-old had begun by writing that I go to the Regimentitis Pigmentosa Blind Club because my brother, dad and granny have the eye disease. 
His closing remarks were that a cure for the eye disease will be made soon, maybe in Russia. Go straight to the top of the class. West of Scotland branch, Ian McLenahan. We would remind our members that the branch meetings have now been reduced to three a year and will be held at Nye Bevan House, India Street, Glasgow, less than five minutes' walk from the King's Theatre, on the first Saturday of February, June and October. The first was the AGM in February, but we usually gather at 2 for 2.30 and a warm welcome is extended to all our regular and any new members. If in doubt about any meeting, please phone Willie or Marion on 01505 812840 local rate from Glasgow 0141 by 10.30 on the day of the meeting. Tea, coffee and biscuits are available on arrival and if you wish to bring a snack, please do so. Professor Alan Wright from Edinburgh gave a splendid talk at our last meeting in October and you may borrow a full C90 tape recording of his talk by phoning Marion. Our local fundraising efforts were boosted by very generous legacies donated to the Research Fund by two long-service and hard-working members of the branch. If you feel that you would like to donate to BRPS by means of a legacy, please speak to your solicitor for guidance. The local branch newsletter will, of course, continue to be sent out in print and tape prior to each branch meeting. Yorkshire Branch, Brian Jeffrey. As the Yorkshire branch treasurer, I have on your behalf sent to head office £12,500, which is £1,500 more than 2002. This is an exceptional amount because we did not have any entries for events like Marathons, Great North Run or the Three Peaks. Our main income was the Humber Bridge Stride for Sight, which raised £4,663. Well done all of the walkers. Special congratulations to Eileen Atkinson of Bridlington, who raised over £400. The feedback so far is yes to another Stride for Sight in 2004, but at a different venue. What is your preference? Please let us know. Well done all of our fundraisers and please help in 2004. Contact David Stevens, Hull area, who has a collection at Prince's Quay on the 24th of April. Further dates are being arranged, so please help out if you possibly can. The Yorkshire Branch AGM will be held on the 3rd of April 2004 at Centenary House, Leeds. Please come along to support your committee and have your say. A photo shows Jane England, who raised £755 with her Christmas Bowls event. Letters From Amanda Moody, Jean. On our recent trip to America, my eight-year-old daughter Heather, who has RP, was straining to see the television from two inches away. Her younger sister Alice accidentally sat on the remote control. Miraculously, the TV cartoon Rugrats suddenly had an audio description. Several other programmes also came through with this facility, accessed by a menu on the TV. Back here in England, our cable supplier has not the faintest idea what an audio description is and has not returned my calls. I am not sure who to speak to now and wonder if anyone there knows of this facility and how to access it. Editor's note. I have spoken to Anne Fisher about this and apparently the service is available from B-Sky-B on certain programmes. Other providers are currently being approached in an attempt to persuade them to start. From Mrs S. Blythe, Sunderland. 
Just a note to thank the lady who wrote in the last edition about tax credits. She advised us to give the Inland Revenue a ring and gave us the telephone number and other details they would require from us. I did just that. It took me about two days to get through, but it was worth the try. I was told that I am entitled to some money each week called tax credits, so a big thank you to this lady. From Edmund Butterworth, Hatch End, Middlesex. I have just discovered a box of 24 RP t-shirts, bought originally by the now defunct Harrow branch, together with an RP banner. I wondered if another branch could make use of them. The t-shirts are in sizes large 1, medium 14, small 9, and the banner measures 29 inches by 54. I have sent all of the details to the office, so please contact the office if you're able to make use of them. From Orly Sharkey, London. I am 26 years old and live in London. I have been on the mailing list of REY for a while. I decided to attend the youth meeting in Paris. I arrived on Wednesday the 15th of October and met the other members of Ray that evening. We stayed together in the same Paris hotel. There were around eight people at the meeting from Germany, Netherlands, Scandinavia and Poland and of course the UK. On Thursday morning we had the actual Ray meeting. This was chaired by Marcus Georg from Germany, the president of Ray. We discussed the programme for a Ray meeting to be held in the Netherlands in July 2004. I am planning to go to the youth meeting in 2004, which is open to all people with RP aged 16 to 35 across Europe. On the Thursday evening, we were invited onto a gala dinner boat cruise on the River Seine, which was fantastic, the food excellent. On the Friday, we all went sightseeing and in the evening had dinner together and discussed how RP affects us as young people. On the Saturday, everyone had left except myself and Margus Georg, so together we went to the Louvre, which is free for disabled people. I came back to London on the Saturday evening, having spent a very enjoyable three days in Paris. The Ray website is http colon forward slash psrp.idn.org.pl forward slash rey forward slash from daniel hopkins swindon i am a sufferer with rp and having recently married my partner of 13 years we decided that as well as having the usual wedding gift list we would ask for charity donations for the brps i am sure you will be as delighted as we were to know that we raised a fantastic 396 pounds 50 pence Please find enclosed all of the cheques received, totalling this amount. And please, if you have space, would you tell my new wife I love her dearly in the next issue of the magazine. From Mrs M Chambers, Barton Seagrave. I am an RP sufferer and have been registered blind since 2000. Since then I have been suffering severe headaches. I have had ulcers in my right eye which suffers from stabbing pains and the eye waters a lot. The pain was so severe over Christmas that I was sent to the hospital, but the doctors seemed to think it is my arthritis. I was wondering if any other members had experienced my problems, or is it just a coincidence that the headaches started at about the same time as I was registered? Obituary From Mary Woodruff and Linda Cantor We are very sad to have to announce the death of Julie Richardson on the 3rd of January. Julie suffered from RP and was the driving force for her parents, Helena and Joe Richardson, to work so tirelessly for BRPS and the Kent branch. 
The Kemp branch is slightly older than BRPS and was formed by Joe Richardson to bring together RP sufferers. When Linda formed BRPS, they joined as the Kent branch. Julie attended most of Jesse Mole's garden parties and was always invited to stay behind, long after the last guest had departed for a glass of sherry. She always looked forward to this quiet moment with Jesse. For the past ten years, Julie lived in Liverpool in residential care, where she was very happy and well cared for. As a token of their love and respect for her, they will be holding a service of remembrance, and Helena and Julie's sister Christine will be travelling to Liverpool to attend this. Every Christmas, Julie came home for an extended visit to Spain with Helena and Joe, which she greatly enjoyed. After Joe's death, Helena continued to take her to Spain, and she had her last trip there during the summer of 2003, just six months prior to her death. A requiem mass took place on the 16th of January, Julie's 45th birthday, followed by cremation. Julie was a very special lady, and our love and sympathy go out to Helena and her daughter Christine and family. Next newsletter. Items for inclusion in the next newsletter, summer 2004, must be with the editor by the 10th of April 2004. The editor's address is Mr S. D. Higgins, 54 Paddock Road, Newbury, Berkshire, RG 14, 7DG. And that's the end of the newsletter. <laughs>